MotoGP 2020 was something else in many people's books. For those who were racing, for those who were engineering the motorcycles, for those who brilliantly made 14 races happen and then and then for us to watch it all unfold. What a season. 14 races with nine circuits, nine different winners, 15 different podium finishers, and five brand new MotoGP race winners. Simon Patterson joins myself, Toby Moody. Um, where do we start, Simon, with stats like that? Um, where do we start? What stands out for you? Let's start with that. Um, I think the one thing that stands out for me, let's be honest, is one Mir. Um, he was the dark horse. He was not the person that we expected necessarily to see fighting for a championship. And he had a hell of a year on a bike that is vastly improved from previous, surrounded by a team that just works. Everything clicked for Mir this year and for Suzuki. That that for me, you know, I know it's it's a bit dull to stay the standout performance of the year was the guy that won the championship. But whenever no one expected him to win the championship, I think we can get away with saying it, can't we? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, for Mia, he, from race number four through to race number 13 out of the 14 in the championships championship, his worst in the dry was a fourth. And there was only one wet race in that gap between race four and race 13. So consistency, consistency, again, in any championship, in any sport, was the key for Miracle Mir. But actually, when I say Miracle Mir, I shouldn't say that because a miracle is is luck. It's toast landing butter side up, isn't it, Simon? But the, there's, there's no luck involved. Kenny Senior always used to say, they don't give race wins away, let alone world championships. But he did it. Absolutely, he did. Luck, luck is something that you manufacture for yourself when you're a motorbike racer. You do it by making sure you have a team around you that don't make mistakes. You make sure that you do it by being calm and considerate and collected when you have to be and only taking risks when you need to be. And that's exactly what he did this year. He was just the best rider on the grid, both in terms of performance and personally, tactically and strategically. He saw the big picture and he reacted when he needed to. He was happy to, you know, that that one result out of the top four, that one white race, was a case of he found himself battling for the top 10 behind one place behind the two guys in front of him and thought, risky, I'll settle. And it worked. You know, that's the sort of, those performances are what won the championship this year. It says something to me that he wrapped up the championship in a short season with one race to go. You know, we were, what, 23% less races this year. I, I, I can't do the math in my head. But 25% races less this year. Uh, and yet he still did it with a race to go. If you won the championship with a race to go in a normal 1920 uh, race championship, everyone says, oh, wow, you've done really well. But he did it. He did it. He Just coming back a step, though, for me, it was he was the strongest mentally, yeah, on the grid, on the grid, and I think you were sort of alluding to that a moment ago. And what maturity from a guy with that kind of pressure who wasn't even in the top ten in the championship last year and comes out the victor? I mean, wow, wow, just a pleasure to to witness it. That's the way I look at the season. Absolutely. And, you know, worth remembering, he's got the second 
least number of Grand Prix starts of anyone else in the MotoGP grid, apart from Iker Lacona. He's he's only started something like off the top of my head, less than a hundred races, because he's not been riding. He's not been around that long. He's progressed rapidly, but he's not been there for very long, and just such an old head and young shoulders. Lots of his opponents this year tried the mind games. Lots of people tried to get inside his head by saying different things. Fabio Quartararo had a go. His teammate Alex Rins had a go. Maverick Vinales had a go. And it just he just laughed off. He just it never fazed him. <laughs> you know, which is, that's impressive for someone of that age, you know. And, and in fact, what he actually managed to do was to turn it all around and actually make it one of the positives of the year for me because everyone else was talking about stress and pressure and trying to put him under stress and pressure. And he just kept saying, you know, pressure is not riding a motorbike for a living. Pressure is not being able to pay your rent because you've lost your job because of a pandemic. He is the full package, you know? Yeah, there's there's a lot of very clever sportsmen out there, not at just what they do, but as you say, speaking about the outside world, the real world, you know, we're only going around in circles burning hydrocarbons here. We're not finding a cure for cancer. But, <laughs> you know, he was he when he said those words in Valencia after Valencia won, everybody went, whoa, hang on a minute. Well, what a clever bloke we've got here. But uh, but yeah, so the season got underway in mid-July and then those 14 Grand Prix took place in just 19 weekends. It was intense stuff before the finale in Portugal in uh, in mid-late November. But actually, for Mia, he only got 11 points from the first three races. So whilst Quattararo was getting full score from the first two races, Mia was was nowhere. He, was, he wasn't on anyone's radar. Absolutely. He had a disaster to start the year. A stupid mistake in a race that saw him crash out, wiped out in another race by someone else's mistake. You know, we were looking at both Suzuki riders, both him and teammate Alex Renz, after he uh, dislocated his shoulder and qualifying for the first race. You know, three races in, we were looking at Suzuki and saying, oh, well, it would have been nice to see them fighting for the championship. But anyway, on to the Yamahas. <laughs> yeah, that's what all the talk was all about. Yeah, it, it absolutely. Was, uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, whilst we're, if we could drift onto the top three of the championship before we go to them, the top three in the championship after 14 Grand Prix all non-scored equally. They all non-scored in three races. So they all only scored in 10. I mean, the statistics just, just it's one of those seasons. I think we just had a hunch it was going to be one of those years yeah. after we lost Mark Marquez at the first race with that crash that is still ongoing, the problem's still ongoing to this day. And here we are in, in early December. But we'll touch on that later as we go on with this podcast. So, yeah, you touched on Rins, you know, the whole Suzuki thing. It's Suzuki's first championship in the top class since Kenny Roberts Jr. back in the 500 days. That was 20 years ago in 2000. Alex Rins, you know, he'd won Grand Prix before. He won only one race this year in 2020, but he had a great run of form, uh, Aragon, Aragon and Valencia. He scored 65 points from the 75 available. There was a chance he was going to do it. I mean, Suzuki must have thought it was Christmas even then. It, it, It couldn't have been a better year for them. You know, it just a remarkable series of performances. And that is, as far as I'm concerned, is all down to Team Boss Davide Brivio because it's him that plucked both of these riders from, you know, 
top 10 positions, but not race winning or championship positions in Moto2, took a punt on both of them, said, these guys have got a bit of talent, I think they're worth it, stuck them both on the MotoGP bikes and has turned both of them into championship contenders. Surrounded by a team that, you know, we've said it so many times this year, you walk into the Suzuki MotoGP garage and it feels like walking into a family-run BSB team garage. The atmosphere, the friendliness, the you know, the joking around—it's amazing. They've got such a good atmosphere. Mm, yeah, you 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 don't need. You only need a couple of bad apples in a team, and then it, all the atmosphere is all a bit edgy. And I know what you mean about atmosphere. You know, for me, you know, Red Bull Yamaha was always a great kind of atmosphere. And, you know, we we're quite lucky as journalists to be able to walk into garages in the old days, that was, uh, into walk into garages and get a vibe and a feel for what's going on. Team Roberts was the same. It was a it was a good, happy place. Of course, there's hard work going on. Of course, of there's course. furrowed brows and, and the odd raised word but it, it, it's a good atmosphere and that that's what you touch on brevio of course he's he, you know he's, he's done yamaha he's done ducati he's brought it to suzuki and as you say he's had the wherewithal to stay with rins who was fourth last year in the championship mir who was 12th last year in the championship does not well he he is the most experienced team bloke of that gravity in the paddock full stop yeah there are others who have been there as long as him but there's no one that has done it for as many manufacturers or as successfully. It's, uh, mm. you know, and, and yeah, the work he has done, the people he has assembled around him, it's perfect. You know, it's like you say, of course there's hard work that goes into it. Of course there is. But ask anyone in the world. It's easier to work hard whenever you love going to work. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what it all comes down to, Suzuki. So there we were at the beginning of the year, mid-July, a Boiling hot Hareth. You were outside the circuit. Journalists weren't quite yet allowed in, but it was what track temperature 64 degrees yeah. at one point, 10 degrees warmer than Sepang, which is just nuts. Nuts. <laughs> you know, you these riders, they are something else. They they train hard, they are programmed just to do these races throughout the year. That is their job. They're paid handsomely to do it, but they were getting off the motorcycles going, Whoa, this is too much. I'm struggling to remember the last few laps of the race. I, I I'm struggling. I've completed but Quateraro won the two of them. He led the championship after those two Grand Prix victories. And then he had a bit of a dip. And then he came back. And he won a race. And then he had a bit of a dip. But unfortunately for him, he never got out of that second dip over the 14 Grand Prix. Over the last six races, 150 points worth of Grand Prix, he scored just 19 points. <laughs> oh, I mean, what to say? What to say? But for me... I'm so happy he broke his duck. I'm so happy he broke his duck at the beginning of the year. I'm so happy he got a back-to-back. -back. I'm so happy he won three Grand Prix. But he's got to work hard over the winter to make it a championship challenge. And I think he can. Yeah, it, it, you can't rule him out because of how strong he is. You know, we the problem with him seemed to be, for me, um, sitting on the outside looking in, but what it looks like is a two-part problem. We know that there's tracks that the Yamaha goes well at and there's tracks that the Yamaha really struggles at. We knew that he was going to go really well at Hareth, and we knew that he was probably going to struggle at the Red Bull Ring and at Brno, uh, rounds well, three, four, and five. But it seemed like he's maybe just not quite mature enough yet 
to deal with the bad times as easily as the good. He he just can't quite figure out how to manage it when things are a little bit little bit off. Um he seems to get a little bit lost in what he's doing with the bike in terms of setting it up. They go round in circles. They never find anything comfortable. Uh, Yamaha are there adding in input from Japan, throwing new parts of the bike to try and fix things, muddy in the water even more. Um, and it kind of looked at the end of the year like he just got information mm. overload. But at least he recognised it towards the end of the year and said, I'm going to have to have somebody give me the mental help. Because he's 21, 22. You know, yes. So, yes. yeah. He's, all right. he's got the speed. Easier to go a notch slower than try and go a notch faster and put yourself in hospital. So, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and things will be very different next year in the factory team with even more resources, with him steering the direction of the bike more. It'll be easier next year, not harder, you'd think. Let's see after this year. <laughs> I know you what you're think. saying, though. I totally understand <laughs> what you're saying. Yes, whenever you say works team or full factory, you go, oh, it's got to be quicker. But there's this weird conundrum that we've got with the Sepang Patronus Yamaha squad that's uh, <laughs> that's seen them come away with six victories <laughs> alone out of yeah. uh, out of 14 Grand Prix. So on the other side of the garage, Morbidelli did get second in the championship. He was only 13 points back of Juan Mir. Um that's what a fourth place in a Grand Prix 13 points it's the it's the second place he lost when his injury exactly it, exactly but lots of maybes, maybes lots of maybes but you know the three wins at three different tracks but his off days unfortunately meant that he was absolutely nowhere and what we said at the top of the broadcast Mir had less off days uh, he had less victories than Morbidelli, but it's great to see that Morbidelli mm -hmm. was there. He's a great ambassador for the sport. It's great that a VR46 Academy person has come through from the bottom all the way through to nearly winning a championship, let alone Grand Prix. Uh, the world is his oyster at the moment and another potential world champion in the next 10 years with Morby. Absolutely, absolutely. And the benefit he has uh, at Petronas Yamaha is he's not on a bike that's changing all the time. He's been on the same bike for two seasons now and we'll keep it again next year for season three because of the, the COVID-inspired rule freeze that means everyone's pretty much on the same machinery again. And he's got this guy sitting in the corner of his garage who has more Yamaha information hidden away in his brain than probably most of the, uh, you know, young Japanese engineers working on the Yamaha project back in Awada in the shape of Ramon Fricata. Fricata to me is the key piece to the entire Morbidelli puzzle. They're, they're such like-minded characters. They're very slow. They're very deliberate. They seem to just work very well together. They never make big changes in the bike. Everything that, you know, sometimes riders will have crazy ideas and say, we need to turn this upside down and see what happens. And Ramon will just think back and say, no, I did that in 2015 with Jorge Lorenzo. It doesn't work. Mm, you know, mm. all of that information is just, it was just the perfect storm for them this year. Unfortunately, a couple of bad days, like you say, just took the edge off the championship campaign. But, uh, you know, he's a happy man with his season's performances. He vastly outperformed his own expectations. And he's another one who, who 
for me, has the best chance he'll ever have next year of being a championship contender. It's as if they're quite un-Latin, isn't it? Yeah. There's a there's a certain amount of, of Teutonic logic applied to the way that garage works. Mm-hmm. I you think... Know, um, half Brazilian, half Italian, and then... Uh, Ramon Focada, uh, as Spanish as they come. No, 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 no. Actually, as not as Spanish as they come. As Catalan as they come. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. International relations going wrong with that comment. Uh, All you have to do is follow Ramon on Twitter to realise where his uh, political allegiances lie. <laughs> yeah, 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 true enough. True enough. Yes, apologies. But, uh, yeah, but actually quite, quite yeah. calm. And and they're not they're not no. doing a windmill as I would say you know yeah. waving their arms around the place, and that's all part of the key you know right people in the right seats and you put them together and whoa mm-hmm. look what you can do. Mm. And interesting, you have to think that there are there is another Yamaha rider who will will come to shortly in the shape of Maverick Vinales, who is looking into the into the Morbidelli garage and thinking why did I sack that guy. But the nature of MotoGP is he can't look back. He's got to look forward to the next race, to the next corner, to the next overtaking manoeuvre, to the next change on the bike. He can't be... You can't waste 1%, 0.1% of 1% of of anything in your mental capacity of, oh, well, what could have been? You know, well, you've got to look forward. But he's he's got to fight himself out of that hole. And, and, and Yamaha, they can do it if we... Let's go over to the factory squad now. They can do it. They didn't fall off a Christmas tree. They don't just win championships by turning up with with Valentino, with 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 uh, Lorenzo in the past. So they can do it, and they've still got these bikes that have won seven Grand Prix this year because three for Morbidelli, three for Quattararo, one for Vinales. If they need to go and make old 2019 spec bikes rather than this let's go and get them out of the museum chat (laughs) that you see from some people just make them to old spec yeah you know rub the chassis down make them weaker in certain places drill them in certain places whatever the stuff that neil spaulding understands and we'll have a podcast with him in the next couple of weeks do it do it throw money at the problem because they got it yeah that's it and and they have to the the entire yamaha problem seems to be that it is a team led by engineers. What they need to do next year is they need to take a step back. The the engineers maybe need to put a little bit of ego in their pocket and they need to start really listening to what the writers are saying. They need to start taking on board because, you know, you, you talk to the writers and they say, oh, we've been complaining about this for four years now. Hasn't got any better. Which to me only means that that someone's not paying enough attention to them. At the end of the day, it is a team sport. It is a huge amount of effort, thousands upon thousands of man hours to get a MotoGP bike on the grid. But there's still only one guy sitting on top of it. And you have to make him happy. You have to make him confident. You have to make him fast. You know, the, the the old Jeremy Burgess quote about if the rider wants gold handlebars, we will make him handlebars out of gold. That's how it has to be. That's mm. the only way. It's what Suzuki does so well. And, you know, we've seen this year that and in previous years that Yamaha have a rider in Memphis Vinales who's a little bit fragile sometimes. They've got another one joining the team in the shape of Quattararo who showed a little bit of the same traits this year. They have to start making the riders feel like everything is built for them. 
it happened to Morbidelli at uh, at Aragon. You know, he felt as if he was floating. He felt as if he was mentally in another world. The race just went click, 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 and I'd won it. He said it was weird. It was spooky. I was immortal. I could walk on water. It was like Ayrton Senna at Monaco back in, ni- in 1988. <laughs> it was this weird kind of stuff. And every sportsman has that now and again. Whether or not it's amateur sports, whether or not it's professional sport, I've had it in, had it in amateur sport. I've, I've turned up and I've said, I'm going to win today. And then you go, how dare you say that to yourself? Because that's arrogant. But the fine line between confidence, uber confidence and arrogance is wafer thin. It's microscopically thin. But Morbidelli had it that day and he just ran away with it, didn't he? So as, Absolutely. Absolutely. As you say, if they, if they, want, if they want yellow it, foot pegs, if they want pink chairs in the garage, yeah. give it to them. Because the thing that matters is the sheet with number 25 by your name because that's 25 points for the victory. Of course. Mm. Of course. Mm. So yeah, they've got to they've got to fight themselves out of that Yamaha, but uh, good good angle to say that they've got to um as we've touched in a podcast before and what I've said, uh you know, stop sticking to the plan. Don't stick to the yeah. plan. Oh yeah, well we've got a plan. Yeah, but yeah. that might have worked at the beginning, but the it's now snowing on that road and we've got to go a different route to get around the mountain. So let's go around this other way and we'll get to the destination quicker rather than getting stuck in the snow. No, we've got to go this way. We've got to go into the snowdrift. Donk, car gets stuck. You know, that's the kind of mentality that some of these factories have. But uh, the mentality has got to change also uh, at, at Red, at Ducati. You know, yeah. there was Davizioso. He was my championship favourite when Marquez crashed out at the first Grand Prix. And I said publicly, I said, right, it's down to Davizioso. He's got the, 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 the maturity. He's got the experience. And if Ducati have slapped themselves around the chops and say, right, guys, don't mess this up, they can win the championship. But they did. And for me, that was the <laughs> shock of the year. Um I, I've said it before. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Ducati. They're the they're the they're the two wheeled Ferrari. They've got the stylish way of doing things. Everybody's got a stylish way in a different way. But arguably, he didn't lose it, but Ducati did. How do you view it? Oh, see, I disagree with you there. For ooh, three years now. We've been listening to Andrea Davizioso saying the Ducati doesn't turn in the middle of the corner. Ducati need to fix this problem. The bike doesn't turn in the middle of the corner. And Gigi Deligna has said, well, that's the Ducati. It's long, it's low, it's fast. It's not going to do everything perfectly because no bike can. You're always going to be weak there. You have to adapt yourself to the bike. And Davi has continued to complain about the bike not turning in the middle of the corners. This year, we got a new Michelin rear tyre that was a huge improvement on the on the previous one, far grippier. But Ducati rely on the rear tyre being not so grippy, so that they can use the back brake, bounce the corner around, or the bike around the corner, skid it around, and get in the gas quicker. Very quickly, Jack Miller and Peko Bagnaia in particular realised how they had to change their riding style to get around the problem with the new tyre was causing for the bike. Whereas Dovey spent the year saying Ducati need to fix this problem. But being devil's advocate, you just said that about Yamaha. You said that the team don't listen to the riders. So, But the difference is 
Yamaha have three riders saying the exact same thing on the same bike. Ducati have one rider saying Yamaha need, or Ducati need to fix and a lot of kids getting on with the job. <laughs> okay, granted. <laughs> <laughs> if, if every Ducati rider was in agreement with Dovi, you'd, you would say, yes, it's Ducati's job to fix it. But for me, Miller and Bagnaia showed him up this year. Hell, mm. sometimes Johan Zarco showed him up this year. Mm, very true. No one expected we'd be saying that. Yeah, you know? very true. Very true. Very true. Davizioso, he finished every single race less one when he was knocked off at Barcelona. That was just a racing incident. He had a fantastic <laughs> victory at Austria. One... But he had, for me, too many sixths, too many sevenths, too many eights. And that's what faded away for him. And when I say faded away, he's fourth in the championship. But he's yeah. 36 yeah. points back of, of Juan Mir. Um, I suppose they wore each other out, didn't they? Dovey's problem has always been that, you know, he has fought Mark Marquez to the championship for the previous three seasons. When no Mark, mean feat. No, not at all. He's done that by being incredibly fast Sometimes. But last year, Mark Marquez's worst finish of the season was second. <laughs> when Mark has a bad day, he finishes on the podium instead of on the top step of the podium. When Dovey has a great day, no one can touch him in the race. But when he has a bad day, he's top 10. That's always been his issue. That's always been his problem whenever it comes to the, these last few years in the Ducati. And the problem is this year, pretty much every race is a bad day. I mean, what you say about Marquez just going off on a tangent, you know, a bad day second, you know, that's Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just except, an incredible except, run. Except it's Lewis Hamilton in a Williams, based on what we know about the 2020 Honda. Yeah. 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 And I love Williams to bits, but yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a shame for Davizioso that he that he's going to stand down. It's been a sour end. It's been a sad end. Um, do I have a bit of a soft spot for Dovi? Yeah, because he's a cool character, not in a in a in a kind of Instagram kind of way, but he's cool. He's calm. He's yeah. not a shouter. Um, again, he's unstereotypically Italian. Yes. And, you know, he won a 125 championship. I commentated on all those years. He, he knocked on the door of a 250 championship. Uh, he rode all sorts of things in MotoGP. He started off on a Scott Honda. He went to Tech 3. He's been everywhere. Yeah. Repsol Honda, back again, round and round. And I suppose he's, you know, a little bit old school, but it seems to have worn him out. He says he's taking a sabbatical. I hope that's true. When you do stand back for a year, you got to... Get yourself up to speed, just as you were saying when we were talking about our Mark Marquez third operation podcast, which went out on the fourth of December. You, 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 you're, you're, you're out of the loop. You miss out whilst everyone else catches up. That might be a problem if he comes back. And the problem we've got at the minute is <laughs> modern day racing. The second you take your foot off the gas, there's some hotshot young kid who's going to blow everyone away and suddenly they're a MotoGP rider because they've done such a good job. Like, did anyone really expect any of Bastianini to be a MotoGP rider in 2021 at the start of the season? No. But suddenly he puts together an amazing championship challenge and, you know, if you're Ducati and you're looking at sending Bastianini for a couple of hundred thousand euros off the back of an incredible Moto2 championship, or Dovi, who's won one race in the season when he should have walked the championship for six million euros. A lot of bike development, that, isn't it? You're going to take. 
you're going to take a bet on yeah. the kid. And that's Dovey's problem next year as well. There, there will be more kids in Moto2 next year who are super impressive, who want MotoGP seats. You know, there's always more fast kids than, than there are seats. Which was ever thus. In a, in a yeah. you know, exactly, exactly. And that just weighs hugely against mm-hmm. Dovey. If he'd if he'd put together a championship charge this year after he'd left Ducati and had walked away with the number one plate, then things might have been a bit different. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. Yes, I mean, what he arguably might have to do is to come back for four hundred grand and a load of bonuses. You know, does nothing exactly. like wait, dangling exactly. and waving the carrot. Um, yeah, which is apparently how Mia's contract has shaken out this year. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've, there's some interesting stories about just how much he uh, he has earned. Of course, uh, the most famous one of those ever is Casey Stoner. Absolutely. 2007, when he was Ducati's sixth choice rider, because he was just the kid that kept crashing the LCR bike, and they took a punt on him, paid him next to nothing, had huge win bonuses, at absolutely monumental championship bonus, and a incredibly cleverly worded contract that said the year two base salary was everything he earned in year one. Exactly. Won the title, nearly bankrupted them. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, same with Malandri back in oh four five, movie star Honda. Yeah. He uh, he had a great run towards the end of the year and finished something like second in the championship. And Grassini yeah. had to go cap in hand back to the sponsors and go, we haven't got any money to pay this guy and we've got to pay him by Christmas. <laughs> Good problem to have, though. I always advocate it. Absolutely. It's like, it's like paying tax. It's a great problem paying tax because it means you're earning it in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> On the other side of the garage, uh, Petrucci, we all like Petrucci because he's quite a dude. Of course. Uh, flicked yeah. before the season started. Now, I know the season started quite late. It didn't start in late March, early April. It started in mid-July. He then immediately signed for KTM out of Ducati. He's going to be riding Miguel Oliveira's bike at the next Grand Prix, which won the last Grand Prix. The most unpolitical guy in the pit lane, probably got a bit tired of it all, but uh, he did win a race. He burst into tears. We probably had a little tear in our eye as well, uh, remembering what he did at Mugello in 2019. What a victory, what a day. Oh, if I could go back in time. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it proves that Ducati can win. It proves that Ducati can do it. It proves that they've got the budget. What is the problem? in the red garage in your eyes is that too big a question try and truncate your (laughs) answer i think that's probably a podcast all into itself um it seems this year like there's been a lot of uh political infighting at chicati there's been various camps within the team there's been lots of back and forth arguments there's been a a technical boss who's at odds with some of the the actual team bosses there's a, a ducati ceo in the shape of claudio dominicali who just loves firing off shots from the top of the pyramid you know let's not forget it was claudio dominicali's words that cost them jorge lorenzo mm. because of stupid things he said so the whole team is just i don't want to say it's a mess because that's harsh but it it's a difficult environment and i think what we saw with Patrici this year is that he is such a nice guy, such an apolitical guy, that he just got so demoralized by all the crap that was going on around him 
that he just lost motivation, coupled with the fact that they'd sacked him before the start of the season and and everything else. You know, I think he just he didn't want to be there, and his results reflected that. Now, in terms of fixing the problem, I don't know if what they have done is enough to fix it, but it's got to be a good start. They're bringing in two young riders. They're bringing in two loud, opinionated young riders. You know, Andrea Davizioso might have got bad-tempered and grumpy whenever someone told him he wasn't good enough. Jack Miller might swing at them. Oh, quite. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe that's the best thing that that camp needed. Maybe that's exactly what it needs. It needs that young, fiery burst of enthusiasm coming in next year. I hope it does, because I want to see them back at the front. I want to see Jack and Peko fighting for wins. But only time will tell. And But I don't think it's a problem with the riders and I don't think it's a problem with the bike. And Miller getting fired up is a different kind of fired up that Stoney used to get. So, you know, there's a different way. There's a different way. So, ah, that'll be interesting. That'll be very interesting. Debut win for KTM in 2020. Debut win for a couple of riders as well. Brad Binder won the third round of the championship at Brno. Oliveira won in Austria and at Portugal. A first win for Tech 3 in the big class. And then they go and get two Grand Prix victories. <laughs> it couldn't have it couldn't have gone any better for the Austrians in 2020, and only their fourth season in the big class. Now, that's a great thing for 2020. It's a great thing for leaning on the bar on Sunday night and getting a few beers in. Now the pressure's on. Are they championship contenders? Ooh. Have they made a rod for their own back? I don't think they're championship contenders just yet. I think um, the manic season that is 2020 maybe changed things. yeah just a little bit the yeah. only the only yeah i'll go the only with that. ktm win you'd look at this year and say Pwah, was miguel Oliveira's win at the final round of the year now if they'd won the just the final round of the year would we be looking at them next year minus paul espagaro who's been there for all the time of the project developing it thinking our ktm championship title contenders and we would probably say no nah, not yet the year after they will be so i think you you almost need to take those two slightly weird wins out of contention a little bit you have to remember that they've got quite a young rider lineup next year and yeah they'll, they'll win races next year for sure they'll win races again um i'm really excited to to see Binder and Oliveira working together, I think they're going to be a really strong pairing because they're they're already very well. They've very been close. in the same team before. Uh, they've been teammates yeah. in the past. Exactly, exactly. So the the two of them will be a great pairing next year. But yeah, I, I think there's still a little bit of work to do. You know, they've got a little bit of that Ducati problem of when they're great, they're great, and when they're bad, they're nowhere. So until until they're consistently fast everywhere, it's hard to call them championship contenders. But it's coming. It is coming. Mm -hmm. It'll be very interesting to see how that one pans out. Uh, late on in this podcast to mention Honda because it didn't really happen for them in Lamb. What does Lamb mean? Life after Mark Marquez. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> Mark wasn't even on pole for that race that he started. He was on the front row, but he wasn't on pole. So was that domination going to happen? We can talk about that until the cows come down from the top of the mountains. But 
Yeah, Honda, it, I mean, they struggled. Uh, Alex Marquez struggled. And, and for me, that wasn't right that he struggled on the championship winning bike of the previous seasons. I think we then discovered that it really was a one rider bike and they had to change the bike in 2020 to fit some other riders. And then all of a sudden it came alive. He had then two podiums on the trot, did Alex Marquez and the, it, and, 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 and Stefan Bradl had a good run. So yeah, um, they've had a wake up call, but the good thing that Honda can do, and we've seen it before is that they can react. They yes. can change direction. Maybe not quite as quick as some of the other factories, but quite quick for Japanese. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they have learned their lesson. Um, you know, I, I interviewed, uh, I was just digging through some old quotes the other day and I, I found a, an interview I did with Takeo Yogiyama, who's the, the technical boss there. And he admitted, which is a huge thing for a Japanese engineer to admit that they have built a bike for one rider and it backfired. I, they, they, they realized with about, you know, about three races into the season that they'd built a bike for one rider and it was backfiring. So they just turned all their attention on building a better bike for everyone else. He he said straight up that when Mark Marquez comes back, he expects Mark to be on a different bike. It won't be Mark's bike anymore. It will still have the same DNA, but it won't quite feel like Mark's bike. Uh, we know that he's had complications with his arm surgery, like we, we touched upon in the previous podcast. We know that he's going to miss probably all of preseason testing plus the first few rounds, which means all the development work that's being done for next year, especially without Cal Crutchlow, who, let's be honest, you know, let's not forget, has been a key part of the Honda setup because he can ride like Mark Marquez. Without him, without Marquez, you've got a development program that's being steered by Takanaki Gami, who is finally being given up-to-date machinery. Alex Marquez, who has shown what he can do whenever the bike is built around him and not his brother. And Stefan Bradl, who uh, has been on the bike for ages and who showed at the final round what he can actually do whenever he's not testing new parts and just riding. I think uh, Paul Espagaro is probably a luckier guy now than he was when he signed his Red Bull or his uh, Repsol Honda contract to leave KTM earlier in the season because he's going to arrive to a bike that's maybe going to be a little bit more his than it otherwise would have been. Yeah, it's going to be a Marquez minus bike, but a crutch low Nakagami plus. Exactly, exactly. It's going to be a halfway Exactly, hatch, exactly. It? Yeah. Hmm. Or should I say, an end of 2020 yeah, plus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Marquez, he had his third operation on his right arm on Thursday, the 3rd of December, an eight hour operation, including five surgeons working on uh, replacing some bone in his arm that was a bone graft from his pelvis. Uh, the day after, sorry, two days after we received notification that he had a an infection in that that wound, that, that, that healing process has been scuppered somewhat. So again, another twig, stick, pole being put into the spokes of the Marquez recovery before the 2021 season. Just quickly going back on that, Simon, um, in our world, it's it's frightening and weird to hear about bone grafts and infections and whatever because we don't do surgery. We do tires and petrol and checkered flags and circuits. But in medical world, it's not too much of a big thing with what some of the modern surgery can do. You've spoken to some friends, colleagues who do this for a living. They're professionals. 
And their word is? Complicated, but routine. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a big thing, but it's not an impossibly big thing. You know, it's, it's just how, yeah, it's how they operate, you know? So yeah, it's a scary, you know, we're used to writers being out of surgery in 45 minutes. This took eight hours. We're used to doctors being operated on by doctors of your mirror and no one else. This took five surgeons. But that's, I think anyone that's suggesting that that's alarming is being alarmist. It's, you know, it's a big operation, but it's a routine big operation. It's a bit like watching those free climbers go up, you know, the sides of mountains, you know, sheer vertical climbs. And you and I look at it and go, Oh my goodness me, that's mad. Well, that's what they do for a living. Um, Exactly. These guys that jump out of aeroplanes with wingsuits and whatever, it's frightening to us, but it's normal to them. Yeah. Exactly. It's ridiculous. Valentino Rossi uh, missed a couple of races. He he caught COVID, so he had to stand back for a couple of Grand Prix, but he did have a podium at the beginning of the year. Not really fair to compare apples with oranges because he, the season didn't happen. It's easy to say that it was his worst season of 25 Grand Prix seasons from when he first started in March 1996. But as I said, not comparing apples with apples. It didn't really shake out. Let's just put this one in the bin. Let's forget about it. A bit like the two Ducati years. Whoever remembers that Valentino ever rode a red bike with a yellow number on the front of it? Because I don't. But um, he's got another chance. And it, with with Patronus next year, should be okay is all I can say. I think it's going to be better than okay. I think it's going to suit him much more. I think he's going to be going into a garage that he might be initially a little bit unhappy about because he isn't surrounded by all the guys that's worked with him all his career. But he's going to go in to discover they're a really good bunch of people. They're really, you know, they're daft. They're fun. There's always laughs in that team. He's got literally one of his best mates in the world as his teammate in the shape of Franco Morbidelli. There's going to be a huge amount of data sharing between the two of them. The same with, you know, Rossi really respects Ramon Forcada, was a huge part of getting Forcada into that role as uh, as Morbidelli's crew chief. He will listen to, to, to Forcada's ideas as well. They will share everything. It, I, I genuinely, I think he'll go better there than he, he will in the factory team. I think it's the perfect place for him. It's the old story, a change is good as a rest, isn't it? Exactly, and exactly. Fresh horizons, uh, you know, Getting into a new car, hmm, new car smell. You know, it, exactly. it, it's it's and, all those psychological things, isn't it? And we know that Valentino Rossi is a fan of big changes when things aren't going well. We've seen it all the way through his career. Wasn't happy at Honda, went to Yamaha. Wasn't happy at Yamaha, went to Ducati. Uh, wasn't happy at Yamaha, sacked Jeremy Burgess. You know, he makes mm. these big changes. Mm. It's what he does, and it, it genuinely generally works out for him. So yeah, let's see. Well, the purpose of the exercise is to win the Grand Prix, and it's his backside that sat on it. So yeah. <laughs> he, he yeah. needs to make it happen. Dorna, the circuits. As I mentioned, we went to nine different Grand Prix circuits throughout 2020. It's always easy to criticise Dorna from the press office point of view because that's what journalists <laughs> always do <laughs> that's what journalists do you know but when we walk into a sunday morning at Mugello and it's 20 degrees at half past 9 in the morning and you haven't seen a cloud all week it's pretty 
pretty good. <laughs> and when you're there at Jerez and there's a Spaniard winning all three Grand Prix, it's pretty good. I have to say, Carmelo Espeleta, he's no spring chicken now, but he's worked in motorsport for probably 50, nearly 60 years, I would say. Uh, he's worked in all walks of motorsport. He made it happen. People around him made the, the technicalities happen of, of, of medical tests and COVID tests, PCR, yada, yada, yada. I take my hat off to them. Fair play. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. They, they of course, there's always things to criticize, but by and large, this year run far better than I expected it to run. Um, you know, they... There obviously there was lapses, there was mistakes made, there was missteps, but we were operating in a completely new environment. So you, you kind of have to put all that aside and say, you know what, we ran 15 races because let's not forget, we did actually find a way to win a one or Moto2 and Moto3 race at the start of the year too. Um, they, they put in place a protocol. They, by and large, the whole paddock adhered to the protocol. Um, by and large, the whole paddock were careful. Um, everyone was subjected to, you know, violent nasal attacks on an almost daily basis at some point to make sure that they were fit and healthy. I was chatting to, uh, Jorge Martin, uh, the other day I bumped into him and he was telling me he's had 35 nasal swabs this year, but you know, that, that's, that's the price that everyone paid and we got a championship out of it. Everyone made it happen. Sure. It's been difficult for you. You've been to 60%, 70% of the Grand Prix actually in the circuit. Yeah. But to be fair to Dorna, their, their primary objective, as it always is, but particularly this year, is to make the race happen and get it televised. It's the TVP, the TV yes. viewers, me at home, because I was unable to go to any Grand Prix, me at home, to watch Friday morning, to Sunday afternoon at three o'clock. And everybody the world over got that, whether or not it's through the Dorna app, whether or not it's through the TV stations in whichever country, but they made 14 Grand Prix happen. I thought that the last race really wasn't going to happen until about a week to go. I thought that there'd be a couple of Grand Prix drop out in the middle, but they made it happen. The politics involved with local government, somebody had to pay for those Grand Prix because those Grand Prix circuits didn't get any money back from people going through the door, which is how they how it all works. There was a huge piece of the puzzle removed from the financial model of running a sport this year. Somebody's had to pay for it. Dorna are going to lose huge money. It's just how less they can lose, but they, they satisfy TV contracts and such like. Because if they have to start paying TV people back, oh dear, oh dear, that might yeah. be too much of a financial bite out of the, the apple for it to survive. But they did it. And yeah, I take my hat off. Not easy at all. I always make this argument in the context of Silverstone. Um, Silverstone is not the favourite circuit of many a British fan. But they sell 50,000 tickets every year for the MotoGP race there. However, Silverstone makes for spectacular MotoGP racing on TV. And there's 250 million people watching at home. Exactly. TV is king. That is, that is how sport yeah. works these days. TV is king. I've had an expression for 25 years from when I first went into a professional TV commentary box, which is um, TV is king. No sponsors, no TV, no sponsors, club motorsport. 
that's it. It's that simple. I can say it in five seconds. Um, and the sponsors need to be on the back. Yeah, you know, Red Bull, Repsol, Monster Energy, Yamaha, you you name them. If there's no TV, well, let's all go to Mallory on a wet on a wet <laughs> Saturday morning in late November, you know? So um, it, it, it is spectacular. Coming to the Silverstone thing, you know, they didn't make money when we first went to Silverstone in 2010. So they turned around and they said, we're not making any money. Here are our books. And Donna said, oh, well, you know, tough. This is our fee. And so Silverstone said, right, well, it's not, it's not a problem. We just won't put a race on. Oh, well, I can't go anywhere else because I can't go to Donington because they were digging it up with it Simon Gillette and all, that, time, and, all, yeah. and all that stuff. And they can't go anywhere else. So, But they all worked it out and we've continued to have a race at Silverstone Bar for this year, which wasn't anybody's fault. So, no, fair play. I, for one, I for one think they should have went Dalton. <laughs> I'd never thought of that one. Yeah, normally everyone says Cal, Cadwell. Cal but... Crutchlow agrees. <clears throat> oh, of course he would. Of course he would. Yeah. Anyway, um, what what's your what's your major memory of of twenty twenty? What are you going to take away and always go? Oh, it was that. Ooh, to be completely honest, the the one thing I'm going to take away with this year from this year is how tough it was. Um. It was a complete drag. Normally we do, you, you know yourself, you've done it many a time. We do three races at the end of the season, back to back in Asia, and everyone comes back from it and everyone gets sick and everyone is tired and everyone is grumpy and teams are falling out with each other. We did that four times this year. Mm. You know, it, it was just, yeah. People. But if I could interrupt... You are going to Grand Prix circuits and you are doing things that oh, yeah, is yeah. pretty special, sure. Simon. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I am well aware of that. And and I'm in a pretty unique position compared to a lot of other people. Uh, but, you know, there are Japanese engineers and Australian mechanics who spent five months in Europe without seeing their families. There are people who were going home and sleeping in a separate bedroom in the house because they couldn't go and see their wife because they had to self-isolate. It was a tough year for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, no one is complaining about it. No one, you know, it, we got it done. It's the job. Everyone got it done. Um, but it just, it will be, I think, for, for the people that were in the paddock this year, that will be the main takeaway for this season. So what's your, oh my goodness me, that was a mega moment? Ooh. Which was really the question I asked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> never give, never give me an opportunity to complain. It'll always backfire. On okay, you. <laughs> right, okay, okay. So, what's your um, mega moment? It was awesome seeing Suzuki doing so well this year. Um, after the after after race two in Valencia, we were all in a little media center where we weren't allowed to leave. We had to stay locked in it. We weren't allowed to go to the paddock, uh, anything like that. And about six o'clock, the door burst open. And Davide Brivio walked in with his hands held above his head, obviously a few beverages in already, with his championship win t-shirt on and it's sticky to touch champagne. And that uh, stood and chatted to us for 30 minutes. And just seeing that emotion, you know, Davide, Davide is not an atypical Italian. He is as stereotypical as they come. He wears his heart in his sleeve. And he was just, just to see that emotion was just, yeah, that was great. It, it personified the entire Suzuki experience of the year to see just how happy he was 
and how happy his team were. And, you know, there, there was a couple of races this year where uh, you'd be sitting in the media centre up above the garages, wherever they had us locked away at, at you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And you'd hear the chanting starting from the Suzuki garage as whatever rider had been in the podium had finally got back after doing the press conference and they just went mental. <laughs> you know, more than once that happened. Led by so his brother who's barking. Th- they're all barking. <laughs> <laughs> they've got such a good bunch in there and they still know how to have fun they still know how to enjoy themselves and and that for me you know to see that to to kind of get not as up close and personal as we normally would in a championship year but to see that um, to see how much it meant to them because we you know Mark Marquez celebrates when he wins a championship of course he does it's a huge achievement but it's kind of got formulaic you know i i love the the last two years we've seen marquez with huge stage productions where he's like playing bowls or hitting things with a hammer computer games uh, yeah. exactly yeah. exactly this year we had mir and his mates and tito rabat at the side of the track putting on t-shirts proper old school you know, it was proper old school it was like a bsb win celebration yeah. so just to see that that sort of the rawness of the emotion that went with the success. That was pretty cool. For me, it was the the knowing that this was the, I call it the the 2000 year. For me, that always stands out. Whether or not I'm right or wrong, it just stands out for me, which was yes. in 2000, so many people were winning. You know, it was Gary McCoy. It was Valentino's first major win in the big class. It was, uh, you know, Barros here or Caparossi there, and it was all over the place. And then Roberts won the championship mm-hmm. through consistency. Again, that word pops up. <laughs> a consistent, a consistent Suzuki, Suzuki rider as well. <laughs> For me, you know, with 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 commentary, I'm shouting at the television. I'm screaming away. Trust me, you know, next door neighbours can hear me. You know, blah blah blah. But, <laughs> um, but. I love a close race. You know, I, people say, why do you get excited, Toby? It's as if I'm racing with them. I want to know who's leading out the first corner. I want to see that manoeuvre into that tight corner and it's the last lap and you, whoa, you've got to stand on your tiptoes, Moody, because this is going to be a this is going to be a classic. But for me, I think we all knew that the last corner of any Austrian race is going to be showdown time. And yeah. Uh, so, you know, there was Miller. I quite like Miller. I think he's he's gobby. He's good because he's gobby, and he's good because he's quick. And, of and there yeah. was Paul, and he was an element of desperation. And he just put he had his nose put out of joint because Binder won the week before in, or the time before in 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 Bruno. And Paul, when he's a bit hot headed, oh here we go, like the blue touch paper. And then Miguel <laughs> was there, and he came through. I was out at Shelsley that day, so I watched it on delay. I was in the house on my own, oh. and I, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my iPad. I had a drink in my hand, and I, I watched every single lap, and I, would, I didn't fast forward or anything. I was like, right, I'm going to immerse myself. Turn my phone off. Didn't look at my phone all afternoon in case somebody bleated to me. Thank goodness that I kept my phone off. And then and I shouted and screamed and, and everything because primarily it's because it was exciting for me it yeah. was just yeah. oh hang on a minute it's going to be miller it's going to be miller which is exciting enough it's going to be pole 
hang on a minute. Where's he come from? <laughs> Who's that, that guy? guy? <laughs> Did that just happen? And and for me, you know, I've worked alongside him. I like his style. Uh, I, I I think he's he's gobby as well. He can bite back. He can answer oh, back, yeah. can't he, yeah, Miguel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's proved that. He's done that a few this times year. this year. You know, he'd had a tiff with Spargaro in the previous race. So that for me was just wow. I was shouting. I was screaming. I was texting my friends who were in the team. I was texting Katie and management. <laughs> I've been lucky to work alongside. I was so happy, and it was midnight, and I was still texting them. Oh, I just thought it was fantastic. That for me was the highlight of the year. Only just the highlight. There's so many others on 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 level two. Yeah, but that for me just stood course. out. That was the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mega, absolutely mega. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. Mother GP for 2020 <laughs> has actually happened it, it, it's given us all that drama and everything it was all worth it uh, we've got more podcasts coming up with technicality talk with neil spaulding and also some retro flashbacks as well as we go into the winter of 20 into 21 for the very latest of news on MotoGP f1 and formula e go to the-race.com like and subscribe Leave a review. Tell us what you think of these chats between myself, Toby Moody, and Simon Patterson. Let us know. Simon, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. And in the meantime, from myself, Toby Moody, and all of the crew at the race, bye for now. <laughs>